Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to the book of Colossians this morning. To the book of Colossians, and I'd ask that you grab that Bible and the sermon sheet that's in your bulletin as we continue in our series that we've entitled Preeminent, a study out of the New Testament book of Colossians. And last week, uh, we kicked off this series by learning the who, what, why, and where of the book of Colossians. If you don't know where the book of Colossians is, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you, and you can find our, our passage on page 983, page 983, and I'd encourage you to do that so you can follow along uh, this morning. If you weren't with us here last week, an introduction is an important thing for us, especially as we kick off this series that we'll be in for the next couple months, and I would say grab a CD uh, in the back by the sound room or go to our website so you can get caught up as to what's going on in the times and the life of the individuals that are involved in this uh, series. But as we learned last week, the Apostle Paul has written a letter. He's written a letter to uh, a young yet growing church in the town of Colossae. Colossae is a city that was situated in what is today modern-day Turkey, uh, about 100 miles inland from the headwaters of the Mediterranean Sea and Aegean Seas. While he had never met these people before, he had come to learn of their lives, their faithfulness, and their zeal for the gospel through their pastor, a man by the name of Epaphras. He had gone to Rome, Epaphras had, where Paul was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. The reason for the visit was to seek wisdom from Paul as to how to address the issues that were threatening uh, the church. They were spiritual issues, issues that were causing all sorts of confusion. And so Paul, as he had done uh, many times before, pens a letter in response to these wonderful people. But I want you to notice when we read this, as he opens this letter, Colossians has got a lot of problems going on. In it. It's a church that while there's some real growth taking place, there are some really bad things happening in the city of Colossae and then, of course, within the church at Colossae. But before, Pence, uh, before Paul starts calling out the people, before he starts yelling at them about the problems that they have, before calling out their faults, he takes some time in verses 3 through 8 to shower them with love and affection. This is something I've had to learn as a parent. Because as a parent, I so desire my children to live productive lives, to grow in wisdom and, and in strength. As a father, it's really hard to watch on the sports fields your children play and, and, and sometimes fail miserably. And it's easy to watch a whole game, and when you get in the car, you, man, i got to be really careful to bite my tongue and, and not start into, how could you have swung at that pitch? How could you have taken that shot? What were you thinking? But to stop and say, you know what? Great game. Well done. And as a pastor, it's easy for us at times for us to look at the negative. Every once in a while, I get an email from someone that's disappointed with the church, where we're areas where we're failing or missing the mark, where, where offense has been made. And it's real easy for me to get in the pulpit and say, we're going to do this better. We're going to try harder. We're going we're to make this thing work and, and, and get behind it. And yet the Apostle Paul teaches us as parents and, and as pastors that the best way to communicate to people is not to start out all the time with what needs to be corrected, but sometimes it's good just to talk about what is to be commended. And that's what Paul does for us this morning. He commends the Colossian believers, and I want to take this text this morning as we read it, and as we study it, to commend you, the people of God. 
And I want to do so by looking at verses 3 through 8 this morning. So I'm going to ask, as we do here as our practice, to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 8 of, of Colossians chapter 1. Again, page 983 in your pew Bible. And this is how Paul starts out this letter. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world. It is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, He's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Father God, again, I pray just a blessing on the time in your word. I pray a blessing on the reading of it, the hearing of it. May it impact and change our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As the calendar fast approaches the celebration of Christmas, no doubt many of us are seeking to find the perfect gift that we can give the people that we love. We spend hours searching for it and spend lots of money, and uh, we want to show people that we care. We want to affirm the place that they have in our lives. But did you know that there's a gift this Christmas that costs you absolutely nothing, and it has the same effect on people when they open it? It's something that's so versatile and so good that it addresses uh, all the needs of both young and old, male and female. It has an uncanny ability to lighten up everybody's day. And here's the great thing. It never goes bad and it never breaks. You don't have to have a warranty on this. So what am I talking about? What is this great Christmas gift that I think you can be giving starting today? Well, it's compliments. Compliments. You, you've heard that word before and no doubt are familiar with it. Expressions of praise and admiration or, or affirmation that shows another individual respect and honor and fondness. Compliments have been called the gifts for the soul. And you would think in light of that, because they are so good, because we feel good when we receive them, that it would naturally happen that, that we would tell people and, and do it often the good things that they are doing. But by nature, we're terrible when it comes to compliments. We love to hear them, but have you ever noticed how awkward you feel when someone gives you a compliment? You're not sure what to do with it. You're not sure what you're supposed to say other than than thank you. Many of us, and I know I have this problem of pushing it away right away, thinking that to receive a compliment is to allow your pride to be... um, driven and your pride to be pushed up to the forefront but that's not the case now we know that we need to give compliments to people and we know they're of great good but for some reason again by nature we rarely give compliments to others and maybe we do it for a myriad of different reasons we can come up with excuse after excuse why we're not as complimentary as we could be well maybe a new year's resolution this year would be to mark your calendar on march 1st because that's world compliments day it's a great opportunity for you to catch up with all of those just make sure that people don't know that you know what day it is now before you think that tim has gone all hallmark special on you and 
has gotten this idea that we should just show and, and share compliments with everybody as if everybody gets a trophy in this game. I want you to understand that there's the good and bad of compliments. So we need to be discerning as to how we use them. One of the bad ways that compliments can be done is that you can share compliments, a perfectly good compliment in a wrong situation. There's a YouTube video that if I had time this morning I would have shown you of how compliments, perfectly good and useful compliments can be done in the wrong way and make you a creeper. I'm not wanting you to be a creeper, okay? I don't want you during our, our time of fellowship afterwards to have an ill-placed compliment that people walk out and the, what they're talking about is not the compliment but you and saying we're going to sit on the other side of the church before we ever go back to see that individual. So we want to be careful with that. Number two, compliments can be used in deceiving ways. What I mean by that is many times people compliment others and they're lying through their teeth. We call this brown nosing, kissing up. We talk about this being the idea of, uh, of, of trying to get something out of a person by saying something that you really truly don't believe to be real or true in the life of the individual. That's not a good compliment either. The other thing you can do is that as we take a compliment and receive it, we can be one who, who says, now that I've received a compliment, so let's say you come to me this morning and say, wow, that was a great message, Tim. I can have one of two choices. Number one, I can, and both are bad, I could say, well, now I know I'm the greatest preacher to have ever lived, okay? You told me that. Well, you didn't. You said, nice job, but I took it to something that it wasn't supposed to go to. And number two, I could say, if, if I'm so good as a preacher, and they're complimenting me as a preacher, then I don't have to study as hard anymore. I don't have to work as hard. Now I can rest on my laurels and not, not have to try so hard as a result. That's not the idea of a compliment. A compliment is given to promote well-being and good that is being done in some sort of activity you're a part of. So what are good compliments to look like? Compliments are to be rightly used, and they are to expose something that someone is doing that is good. So you see something within our children, within uh, our workplaces, or, or in our families, where we see something, we say, man, that was a great job. You, you did a great job with that. I'm, I'm really encouraged by what I've seen in you with that particular thing. It also encourages them to continue doing praiseworthy things. If we don't affirm that which is good in people, then why would we expect them to continue to do it? And so one of the things Christians should be a part of is continually complimenting the good we see in people as a way to affirm and encourage them to continue doing this. Now, Paul tells us in our text this morning what a good compliment looks like for us as believers. Notice, in the text, he doesn't begin with people. He begins by giving God thanksgiving and giving God praise for what he's doing in the lives of the Colossian believers. Notice he says, I always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Before he ever gets to the compliment, he recognizes that apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ in our lives, we got nothing good going on. We're lost. We are sheep without a shepherd. And we need someone to show us how to live lives that warrant compliments in our lives. And we're going to remember that this morning as we gather around the communion table, that everything that we do that is good comes from the good hand of God himself. But notice Paul shares some compliments with the Colossian believers. And I want to take this passage this morning and I want to turn it on us, the people of Village Bible Church. And I want, as your pastor, to compliment you this morning 
as the people of God. Now, I want you to know, first of all, I thank God for the good things that you're doing. I thank God because I know apart from God, you guys wouldn't be able to do it. And I also recognize that we're not perfect either. So when I share compliments, I don't want someone to say, well, there goes Tim with his rose-colored glasses. If you think I have rose-colored glasses, you haven't been around me long enough. But there goes Tim thinking, everything's perfect and great. Village Bible Church, we've got a long way to go. There's much to be done. There's a lot of things that we can improve upon as followers of Jesus Christ. But I want to stop and just say, you know what? There are some areas and ways that I think we're doing a very good job being faithful to the calling of God. Let's notice three of them this morning. Number one, Paul begins by saying, I thank God for the Colossians because the Colossians and I believe Village Bible Church are filled with the right things. You're filled with the right things. Notice in verses 3 through 5, we always thank God our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Let's stop there for a moment. Paul begins and says, I want you to know, Colossians, that you could be filled with all kinds of things. The world has all kinds of things that you can pursue and be a part of. And likewise, church, that is true for us today. You could be a whole lot of different places this morning, but you choose to be here. You can invest your life in a whole lot of other things, but you choose to invest it in the person and work of Jesus Christ and his kingdom ministry in this uh, world and in this life that you've been given. And I'm encouraged, just as the Colossians were, were, you are ones who have set your eyes on Jesus. You've set your eyes on the author and perfecter of the faith, and as a result of that, Three things have come. Notice, Paul first of all says he's encouraged and he compliments them for their faith. He says, I I thank God for your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, why would we thank somebody for their faith in God? Well, I thank God for your faith because Ephesians 2.8 says that your faith that you and I have experienced is not of ourselves, but a gift of God, according to two, Ephesians 2.8. And I'm overjoyed, listen, to see so many people walking in faith in this place. It's an ongoing reminder to me that God is continually at work in the lives of people. What it reminds me of is that God is active in saving people, opening their eyes, turning them from sin, and onto the Savior. And notice, this faith isn't just this random thought of or feeling about something. It is a faith that is centered and founded on the person and work of Jesus Christ, made available through his death, burial, and resurrection. So as I look out at the church, I see all kinds of lives that have been changed as a result of your faith in Christ. Now here's a couple things that I see. I'm struck, first of all, that God is not at work in the lives of certain kinds of people. As I look out to this congregation today, I don't see just a bunch of aged people who who came to know Jesus generations ago and and absent are all of our young people. I'm encouraged that, that the faith that I see in some of our senior saints is a faith that reminds me that though I'm 38 years of age, the faith that I have at 38 will be there when I am 78 and 88 and 98. Because I see in the eyes of our, of our older individuals the same gleam of joy and, and contentment in the person and work of Jesus Christ that it seemingly, they seemingly had when they first believed. I'm also encouraged to see families raising young children excited about the Lord. 
and filled with faith, seeking to honor Christ in all that they do in their families. I'm excited to look out and see young people in our midst. So this isn't something that the adults are a part of, but two of the youngest of kids, my, my, my three children, are excited to come to church. They're excited to hear about God's word. They're excited to learn of the gospel. And so I see this faith being lived out, and it's a reminder that God is a God who's saving people of all ages. But when I look out... I also see that God is one who puts faith in the lives of people of all nationalities. We've got people from Europe here. We've got people from Asia that, that are here and, and trust Christ as their Savior. We have people from Africa. We have people from the Middle East. We have people from all different places. And all of us, though, maybe even our languages aren't even the same. We have the same faith in Christ Jesus, which reminds me over and over again that God is doing a special work, not in the lives of a certain generation, not in the lives of a certain geographical place, but that God is opening the eyes of sinners everywhere of all places and all times. And I thank God for that. And I thank God for you because you're making that manifest to me. Also, I see that I'm thankful for your faith because it's living and active. Your faith isn't a static thing. It isn't just something you do on Sundays, but it impacts the way you live. I see how the faces light up about the presence of God in your life. Your excitement when God answers prayer. Your willingness to sacrifice of time and, and treasure. To say no to the things of this world and yes to the things of God. I thank you for your faith. Notice he moves on and he talks about love. And in verse 4 he says, because of the love that you have for all the saints. Some may ask, well how do you know if you have faith? It's, it's, a, it's a personal thing. It's something that's done on the inside. How do you know? First John 4, 7 says that we are called to love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God. And so you can't say you have faith and not have love for one another. So how do I know if you are a people of faith? I know because of the love you have for one another. First, this love is seen in our relationships with each other. I see how you guys gather together. It drives me crazy because it takes you so long to get out of the uh, foyer to get into the worship service. And it's because you're enjoying every Sunday a reunion of sorts. The camaraderie that comes together, though you come from different backgrounds and different places, you gather together, there's hugs and there's, there's hearty handshakes that take place. There's smiles on your faces as you gather together as if you're being reunited again after a long uh, time being apart. I see the concern that you have for the, the brothers and sisters in this place as you gather together and pray for one another where tears are shed. Where laughter is, is heard as you rejoice in the good and struggle with the bad. The amazing acts of kindness that I've seen in this church that are done for one another. In this every man for himself and dog-eat-dog world, I am thankful to God for a group of people who sacrificially serve one another, bearing with one another, and seeking to the needs of each other instead of seeking your own needs first. You love one another, but don't quit. Because the way the world's going to know that we are followers of Jesus Christ is by this love. And he, he then moves on and notice he says it's not just faith and love that they showed, but it's also hope. In verse 5 it says this hope that is laid up for us in heaven. Now I thank God because you recognize 
that this life is just the beginning, that this world is not your home. As the hymn writer reminds us that because Christ lives, you and I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I am thankful for the hope that I see in each of you. Even in the hardest of trials, we have seen some wonderful people go home to be with God who have embraced death in these last couple years from our family here at Village Bible Church. And I have not seen a single one of those who have gone before us now in death clinging on to life as if saying, I want more of this, but with joy in their hearts saying, the best is yet to come. That point to Christ and say, God, you are good in life, and God, you are good in death. I'm thankful for that kind of hope. I'm thankful for the hope that when you received uh, bad medical news, we've had young people diagnosed with cancer. We've had people deal with all types of horrific issues and struggles. And there has not been a time where I remember someone shaking their fist at God saying, God, how could you do this? But I see hope because each and every time I go to counsel you in your time of suffering, you counsel me and remind me it is well with my soul. That's the hope that that I need. That's the hope that, that, that gets a pastor through a week is that a reminder that God is doing a great work in the life of his people. God has filled this church with the right things. Spiritual things that God has enabled us to take hold of. But notice, how are they anchored? How do those things find their place in our life? Well, God gave the Colossians and us something that will lead and guide us, an anchor for those troubled times of our soul. And he reminds the Colossians that they too have been faithful to it. He calls it the gospel. And he says, you've been faithful to the gospel. Notice that second point this morning, that I'm thankful that you're faithful to this gospel. The Colossians were focused, it said, and founded on the word of God. In verse 7, they had been taught this gospel from their pastor, Epaphras. He taught them the scriptures, and they devoted themselves to the utmost fidelity of God's word. This is seen in Paul's exhortation in Colossians 3.16, where it says that they are to continue to allow the word of God to dwell in them richly. As I think of that verse, I am thankful that I'm a part of a group of believers. And I have the great privilege of preaching to this group of believers, a group of people who long for the word of God to dwell in them richly. What does that look like? There are two things that I'd like to uh, unveil to you that I think are important to letting the word of God dwell in us richly. Notice in verse 6 and 7, he says this word of truth in verse 5, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So how do we become those who take God's word and, 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 and make it our own. There are two things I want you to write down. Number one, it means that we have to desire to understand the scriptures. We have to desire to understand the scriptures. I am struck that in a world where performance trumps preaching, where people choose drama over doctrine, where they'll always pick entertainment over exegesis, 
that this church doesn't simply tolerate biblical preaching. You celebrate it and embrace it. Since I've been the pastor here almost 11 years, we have opened this book well over 500 times together and have sought to know God's good and pleasing will. And here's the thing I've never heard. Do we have to do that again? Haven't we learned all that already? Can't we do something else? Can't we kick it up a couple notches? Can't we uh, create a, a little more of an entertaining thing? Do we really need to listen to Tim for almost an hour each week? No, no, that's not what I hear. What I hear is a hunger for people to hear and seek after God. To not simply know it in their heads, but the reason why you want to hear it, the reason why you want to, to hear it taught to you, why you embrace it so much is not only because you want to understand it, but because you want to use it. That's that second thing you've got to know. You've got to use it. And Paul says in this that it's not just something they've learned, but it's impacting their lives. It's bearing fruit within them. Just to brag on you a little bit. Each week we have 100 or, or more people that are involved in theology classes at this church. And other classes that help establish what a worldview uh, for a Christian is to look like. We as a church have embraced the importance of what a healthy church looks like. We've embraced this word because it has impacted the very essence of who we are. Even though it says difficult things for us to embrace and to understand as sinners, we see that the scriptures have told us not only who we are and how great our sin is, but also how great our Savior is as well. It's made us become more Christ-like in our community and in our workplaces. We are better wives and better husbands. We're better parents. We're better children. We're better employees. We're better people in the community because we know that whether in word or deed, we'll do all things to the glory of God because that's what this book tells us to do. This is so needed for us as a church because it will make us, and the final thing that Paul says is uh, fruitful in ministry. He brings up this phrase about bearing fruit. And the Colossians were bearing fruit, not only in Colossae, but Paul says this little church, this fledgling church, yet even though it's growing in Colossae, the ministry that it's having, the impact that it's, it's placing in the lives of others that they had never met before, is taking and bearing fruit. Paul had never met these people before, but he had heard of their faithfulness. He was encouraged by it, and he was thanking God every time he prayed for them for the ministry that they were doing. You see, when we are filled with the right things and we are faithful to the word of God, a church will be fruitful in its ministry. Notice that people's lives were changed by the gospel. People were coming to know Christ by faith. And it wasn't just seen outside in the world, but it was seen, first of all, their fruitful ministry was done in the here and now. What I mean by that is that they were bearing fruit in their backyard. Now, I wish I could speak to all the things that, that the church is doing in the way of bearing fruit. But let me just share some cool statistics with you that I know we know are going on, but do we really know it? Right now, every week, our children's ministry department serves more than 350 young children teaching them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right now, hundreds of kids, just, just so you're aware, right now, for every adult that we have in the sanctuary, there is a kid represented in the other room. I think, quite honestly, they outnumber us, by the way. 
That should scare you, okay? Because if they ever try a coup, they probably would win because half of us can't move, right? Okay? But, but that shows us, number one, that the, 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 the next generation of the church is alive and well at Village Bible. And they're being taught the Word of God. And I, we are so encouraged, and we should be thanking our teachers and our children's worship uh, individuals and our, our youth leaders because they are on the front lines of seeing to it that the gospel is being proclaimed. And so each week, more than 350 kids through Sunday school and children's worship, our Awana program. Last year, we had more than, or this last summer, we had more than 400 kids involved in VBS. We're, we're reaching out and bearing fruit in the lives of the youngest among us. Each week, more than 125 kids, student age ministry, meaning middle school and high schoolers, are in this place, filling this place on a Wednesday night, being led by their leaders and, and, and our student ministry staff at what it means to embrace the faith that they've been a part of, to embrace what God has given them. Dozens of, of teenagers are, are, are meeting in their schools and, and impacting the communities around them by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And they are on fire about it. Dozens of groups each week meet throughout our Fox Valley area filled with people like you and me. Gathering together in small groups to pray and to study God's word and enjoy the fellowship with one another. Now, maybe that's just because of our relationships. We like being here, but, but i got to be honest with you. We could hang out and do a lot more, quote-unquote, fun stuff in other ways. And then I look at how we give. And while we've got some areas to grow, I, I cannot be blown away. I cannot be anything but blown away that once again this year, we are going to see more than a million dollars raised annually to the gospel ministry of this church. Money that's been worked hard for. Money that could have been used in a lot of different ways. And I thank God that you have given because this church has been able to reach the lost, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and minister to the orphans and widows in their distress, and to be a gospel light to the Fox Valley community. And I pray that it will only continue to grow. Because of it, lives have been changed. Because of it, we have baptized dozens of people into the uh, faith as a result of the work, the faithful ministry that you have been a part of. I thank God for you because if it wasn't for this church, there's no way I would have been preaching the word of God. Because as a young teenager with all kinds of issues and struggles and really uh, a future with, that looked like a big dead end, you embrace that young teenager, you equip that young teenager, and now I am absolutely having the time of my life serving and honoring God with my gifts. But it's not just happening here. Notice it's happening everywhere else. Notice Paul says in the Colossians that it's bearing fruit, this that has come to you in verse 6, that the whole world is seeing it bear fruit and it's growing. And I'm encouraged that we have a church that doesn't say it's all about us and just let's just bring all the money in, let's bring all the gifts in and just leave it for ourselves. I mean, we got to take care of number one, right? No, this church has shown itself to be generous dedicating more than $250,000 annually to overseas mission where we partner with more than 30 different ministries. 
We don't have to do that. Most churches aren't. But we've made a decision, and you have followed suit in your faithfulness to reach people we've never met before. We have our missionaries serving in Europe, like Ireland and Spain, Africa, in Uganda, and Liberia, and and South Africa, to the Asian continent, in Thailand, in India, and the Philippines, to the untouched people groups of Papua New Guinea. We are sharing the gospel through our ministry partners. People are coming to know Christ. My friend Ben Hatton in New Guinea says, people are hearing the name of Jesus for the first time because of you. You don't think that the work you're doing, you don't think the money that you're giving is changing lives, then you're not reading what our missionaries are saying. You're not listening to what our children are saying. You're not seeing the impact it's having on young people and the marriages and the lives that are being changed because we are joining together to minister to the physical and spiritual well-beings of a people. And many of them have been sent out from our own number. We didn't go and get free agents to do this. They have grown up like Lisa O'Brien and the Hellwigs and and Megan Kirkland, and, and many others, the Nichols, and, and uh, I could go on. Uh, Keens are, have had a, a long history with us as well that are here this morning. And, and not only that, we don't just say you go do it. More than 100 of us each and every year embark on short-term missions. Brothers and sisters, I hope you hear the absolute thankful heart that I have because of your faithfulness to the gospel, because you're filled with the right things, because you are now seeing the fruit of the ministry, and I thank God that you're willing to be used by him. So I say my compliments. My compliments on a job well done. But let us remember, our job isn't finished yet. It's only begun. There's much left to do and the best is yet to come. But in order for that to happen, in order for us to see the blessings and benefits that will come out of the book of Colossians in the weeks to come, we must go back and ask for something that Paul did in verse 2. Notice what he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So we begin by thanking God for all that we've done. And we feel encouraged by what God is doing in and through us. But if we leave and and we say, wow, Village is a great church, we've missed it. If we leave and think that we're the best thing God could have ever had happen to him, we miss it. What those compliments and what that encouragement should do to us as a church is drive us to our knees and remind us where we were at before Christ met us in our sin. And that's what communion's all about. That's why we gather together and we come around this table and we partake of of bread and and, uh, juice. In many churches, in in, in an early church pattern, uh, this communion was called the Eucharist. Now I know that there are a lot from the Catholic background that that uh, connotes, if you will, all different kinds of thoughts and things. But Eucharist, really, all it means is thanksgiving. All it means is a meal of thankful hearts. And so we gather together and we're thankful. Why are we thankful? We're thankful because the things that God is allowing us to do could never have been done without him coming and dying on our behalf. And so we are brought back to the place where it all began, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, where he took us and made us whole, where he took our broken relationship with God and reconciled us back to the Father. And so as we gather around this table, 
As we take this bread and this juice that symbolizes the body and blood of Christ, we take it, and I pray this morning that we would take it with thankful hearts. That we would stop and say, Lord, I'm thankful for what you've done. I'm thankful for how you have embraced me as your son. I'm thankful for the gift of faith. I'm thankful for the gift of love. I'm thankful for the hope that I can have as a follower of yours that, again, the best is yet to come. I'm filled with gratitude. But I'm also filled because we do this together. I'm filled with gratitude not only for what God has done, But we don't do communion alone. We do it together. And it's a reminder that we need to be thankful for what each other are doing in our lives and what our corporate faith is doing to the world that needs Jesus. So I'm going to ask the musicians that are going to come and play. I'm going to ask the men that are to serve to come forward. And and we're going to pass the elements. And we're going to give you some time this morning to check your thankful heart. To ask the question, have you thanked God for what he has done? Maybe there's some compliments that need to go around to some people. That after you've spent some time, that you can go and say, I thank God for so and so. Maybe it's the person sitting in the pew uh, down from you. Maybe it's your husband or wife. Maybe it's your, your child that's shown you a little bit more about God than you knew before. That we would take time, examine our hearts to see how truly thankful we are. For the gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus and the gift he's given us in one another.